0: on me tonight. I'm trying to start using this mic right here, so go ahead and judge me. We used to call these the Britney Spears mics, and then someone pointed out that Garth Brooks did it first. I was like, all right, I'd rather be Garth than Britney. Okay, nothing against Britney, I'm just saying. Genesis 3. Uh, thanks, I get to, I get to pull double duty tonight, so thanks for that transition wasn't very smooth, but we're here. We're in Genesis chapter 3. We are in Lent. Uh, the season of the church calendar where we are uh, focused on the fact that Easter is coming, that the death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus um, is historical fact, and much more than the fact that it's like this history marker, it has changed everything about the entire world forever. And so that is not something that we just let sneak up on us. And so we prepare for it, it's a journey. Uh, Lent was used at different points in church history to prepare people to be baptized. It was kind of a time of testing to see how genuine your faith was. Uh, it's just one of those things that, that uh, probably is not understood correctly across the board by a lot of, of Christians uh, even though we were trying to practice it and trying to learn it, so we learn from the the early church fathers. We learn each year a little bit more as a church family as we go through this and we um, we 're fasting from different things in our lives we 're abstaining from some things and replacing those gaps in our lives with other good you know good things, better things, and just trusting God to teach us along the way and on sundays we 're singing a lot of songs about Jesus and the cross and the blood you know and and things that maybe uh, you know, are maybe a little bit darker, you know, tonight these songs we've been singing have been real happy, you know, but there's, there's a heaviness, there's a darker side of Lent where we're, we're sitting in the weight of of why Jesus went to the cross, of the sins of the world being placed upon him, and him willingly taking that on himself, um, and so we've on, as far as the sermons go, we've just been looking at the cross just from different perspectives, uh, started off about the cross was, was this act of worship where Jesus is showing the Father just how much he's worth to him. He's saying, look, look, this is, this is how much I love you and trust you and believe in what, what this is all about, enough to lay down his own life. No one took his life from him. He gave his life. Um, last week, we, uh, I, I, talked, I talked about how it was an act of obedience as well. That in trusting the Father, Jesus uh, said, it's not about my will, it's about your will. And if your will is for me to be crucified for the sins of the world, then that's exactly what I'm going to do. And uh, so it's more than, than um, this simple act that we can kind of knock out in one or two weeks. We could spend years and years and years, and we will spend an eternity uh, learning and understanding and processing our way through the significance of what Jesus did. And so these Sundays leading up to Easter, we're just kind of, Kind of taking a whack at it with a, with, a, with an axe, you know just trying to like just get to the bottom of it if we can, and uh, try to figure it out so tonight, I want to take another another step toward Easter and giving us something else to ponder and consider as we 're thinking about what Jesus did on the cross for us, and this one it, it probably is going to seem a little bit different, um, but in a lot of ways it really isn 't any different um, the if you were to try to sum up humanity in terms of, like, relationship, um, I think that if you were, like, let's say that you were, uh, like, like, aliens out there somewhere were observing us. You know, they got one of those big, like, telescope things or whatever, and they are looking at us, and they're they listening in on us, and they're like, okay, this species has, they have a really weird re- way of relating to each other. Like, they mostly fight with each other. Or they're mostly competing with each other, and it's like they kind of break things down into different classes based on uh, different factors that are there, you know, and they just really seem to be genuinely in conflict with each other most of the time. I think that that would probably be a fair assessment, and not that, like the, like, the nightly news is, like, going to sit there and only tell you, like, happy stories. But if you ever noticed that the news has to, they have to have, like, special segments in the news broadcast about positive things that are happening around us. Because it's just filled with all this, like, just bad news all the time. About crime or violence or, like, political, like thing. or right now, you know, it's kind of... It's a little interesting politically right now. you know, And, and so they're just all, we're just always at each other to the point where newscasts are like, all right, let's have a, our special segment where people, someone's doing nice, something nice for each other. They have to build that in. And the reason is that people love, they love bad news. They love drama. They love conflict. They love to know that's, that, that, what's going on. They want to know the dirt. They want to know the gossip. They want to know all the sides of it and everything. And it's why uh, it's just like this really weird thing about us and so we're singing about Jesus breaking chains and him winning us and, and his, the grace that he's given us that is just glorious and amazing and how worthy he is of all this praise. And it seems really strange that at, as all that is going on, you have all these people that are always just like in tension with each other. And it's been that way for a very long time. And so when Jesus goes to the cross, he does more he does more than die for our sins so that we can go to heaven, um, although that is a very big part of it. There's more to it than that. And one of the things that he did is he resolved all of the relational conflict that exists in our, like, in our world. And you're probably sitting there thinking, just like I'm thinking, like, well, we don't really see it a whole lot, do we? And I would agree. that it's not, It hasn't all worked its way out yet. But in terms of like base root issues, when Jesus shed His blood for our sins, it's in part was setting right side up something that sin had put upside down, and drawing us into this new way of life. So in Genesis three, I want to run through this. Um, I was able to speak at a like a disciple now in New Orleans, which is like a youth retreat kind of thing in New Orleans, and kind of went through some of this stuff, and I've. Just had some opportunities lately to talk about this over and over again, and I just keep coming back to, uh, for my own walk with God. It's just important to know where things came from, to know what Jesus did. You have to know what went wrong. And in Genesis three, we see the brokenness enter the world in a very like interesting kind of way. Look at look at Genesis three. You start look at verse eight. And they they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man and said to him, Where are you? He said, 'I, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Okay, so these verses help us understand, like God is helping us by showing us this picture and explaining this, like through this story, hey, here's, here's what has happened. So Genesis 1 and 2, God makes everything, and it's, it's, it's good. He makes Adam, and he says this is, he, this is very good, because Adam was made in the image of God. The, like nothing else in, the, in all the previous stages of creation were made in the image of God. They were reflecting the glory of God. They were filled with the presence of God, but they weren't made in his image. Adam was the image of God. So this is very good. The first thing that wasn't good was that Adam was alone, so, so God made Eve, and he said, all right, here, you know, here we go. And he put them over, over uh, the garden and the animals and everything and said, be fruitful and multiply, have dominion over all this creation. And there was this goodness and this peace, and the end of, verse, uh, the end of chapter 2 says that there was no shame. Like shame was not a thing for them. And yet, in chapter three, we just said that now we have them hiding in the trees from God because they were afraid and they were ashamed. And in between, everything was good, and there was no shame, and now here they are with shame, the, this like big thing happened. God said, "Don't eat of that tree over there." He tells Adam, he says, "You can eat of any tree in the garden, don't eat of that one. Eve is there by the tree." Uh, the like the serpent comes, and so this is like Satan, right? And, and begins to lie to her about about God saying, like, kind of like he's not who you, he's not who you think he is. He's withholding, and he knows that if you eat of that tree, you're going to be just like him. And God does not want a rival. And if you eat of that tree, you're gonna you're gonna be just like him, and God doesn't want that. And so Eve began to think about that fruit a little differently from that perspective, and so she ate it, and she gave some to Adam, who was um, just, you know, being very passive in that moment, and so they eat of the tree, and all of a sudden, it's like, shame enters into the world, and fear enters into the world, and, and everything was different after that moment, because God said, don't do this. They did that. They exercised their choices, and they rebelled against what God wanted them to do, and uh, in that rebellion, more changed than they realized, so look at, look at verse 8 again. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. It's typically broken down into these four different categories of like the, the, the tension and conflict, the brokenness that happens. The first one is between man and God. That verse says that they're hiding in the trees because they're afraid so their relationship with God goes from being good and filled with peace and oneness. And now their, their understanding of his character has been distorted. They don't know that he's good anymore. They're starting to question that. They're afraid of him. They're ashamed of him. They, they aren't real sure what they're working with anymore. And so their solution is to hide in the, in the line of trees... As if god doesn 't know where they are, and we see this brokenness, this lack of fellowship, this conflict that is there, and this is where like all of the dis- like all of the different understandings of God, this is where this is their point of origin, this is where all the world religions, all the different uh, misconceptions about God and which God and and even within Christianity, people that think that God is is super mad all the time, or that He's like a big pushover, or that He's like kind of involved, not really involved, uh, that He's this, 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 this. This all these weird understandings of God, and they've worked themselves out. and, and think about how many wars, how many uh, like millions of people have been killed because of these different understandings of what God's like and who, which God is right, and all that kind of stuff. And it all starts here: that man's relationship with God was fractured and broken and distorted to where God doesn't didn't know who man uh, man didn't understand who God was anymore. And you get into Ephesians 2, which we'll look at in a second, and it, it talks about how there's this separation that's there as well. And so they're in the trees, God's in the garden, and they're talking back and forth. The story goes on, God puts them outside of the garden, and, and things kind of continue on in this way. But the first thing that was broken was, was man no longer really knows what God is like. And it's led to all these problems. The second thing that we see Uh, If you look at verse 9 and 10, we see that man's relationship with his own self is broken as well. That from that first brokenness of of man to God, we have man to self. Uh, Verse 9, it says, But the Lord God called called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. That Adam and Eve, they didn't have this internal peace anymore. They aren't sure who God is, and they are now afraid, and they're ashamed of themselves. And so this internal dissonance like shows up in the world that was not there before, and now they are insecure, and they're afraid, and they're unsure of what to do, so they retreat. And they're realizing that things aren't the same anymore, but they don't know what to do about it, and so they just hide. And from this, we see, we see given like life to shame and insecurity and discontentment and pride and fear and anger and self-reliance and inadequacy and looking for idols and fulfillment and people who just never feel truly loved or valued or wanted. All of that internal stuff, the things that you would just change about yourself if you could, it all finds its origin with sin. So if you have lived your life and you're like, oh, I'm just kind of an insecure person or I'm just kind of a this kind of person or... Uh, this is just one of those things, just kind of how I am, and you really wish you could change it, but you don't know uh, if you can. then you just kind of chalk it up to, well, it's just kind of how God made me, I guess. I'm just going to always, always be a little bit paranoid, always be a little bit fearful, always be kind of insecure, always kind of look for fulfillment, and I'm just going to kind of always feel like I'm not wanted unless I'm performing correctly and that kind of stuff. It does not begin with your life; it begins all the way back here. That was started by sin. So first, that relationship with God was was fractured and broken. That distance was there. And now, Adam and Eve, they don't even know who they are anymore. And they're kind of freaking out. So they're in the tree line. The third thing that we see is man's relationship with man. Look at verse 11. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me. She gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate it. Men, right? <laughs> That's where it starts. Adam is so, he doesn't know who God is, he doesn't know who he is, and he's like, uh, uh, she made me do it. He's blaming her, and I'm sure that went over really well, right? And what does Eve do? She turns and she blames the serpent. She's like, no, no, it was the serpent. The serpent made me do it. And so this relational tension comes into it. If you keep reading, when God's like, okay, here's, here, this is what's going to happen now. He begins to just basically foreshadow the rest of, of life for them. And one of the things he says is that you're going to basically be pitted against each other all the time. This is where we see it beginning. This is where we see murder and war and Competition and gossip and betrayal and slavery and abuse and all forms of social injustice. This is where we see the lack of forgiveness. This is where we see the bitterness that takes root. This is where all of that stuff, person to person, all the conflict, all the tension, all the ridiculousness of interpersonal relationships, it all starts here. It doesn't start with what that person did. It doesn't start with what happened to you. It goes back way before you. You were born into this world. We were born into this brokenness. The fourth thing that we see is man's relationship to creation, which we're not really going to focus on very much, but when when it continues through that passage, God tells Adam, like basically, you know how the ground was your friend and it was producing all this fruit? Now the ground is going to be your enemy. That work is going to be toil instead of like this thing that you, you thrive in and it's just like part of what I've created you to do, the ground is going to produce thorns and thistles and it's going to work against you in pr- producing fruit, that the ground itself was cursed. And that's where the earthquakes and the tsunamis and the tornadoes come from. It's not like Mother Nature. <laughs> it's here. Man to God, man to self, man to man, man to creation, all of it broken when man decided that he knew better than God. So, what does that have to do with anything, right? Can we, first of all, can we see where all of the stuff that we hate about living on this earth comes from? It's not just because this is a weird place. It's not just because this group of people are bad and this group of people are good. It's not because you go back through history and you're like, oh, that was a bad decision to invade that land and do this to these people. It all is because there's a brokenness that we were born into, that we grow up in this world where it's like, no, this is how you handle conflict. This is how you handle your own insecurities, This is how you handle the fact that we don't really know who God is anymore. You just pick one. And it just keeps getting worse. Like it just it just keeps on going. And that's the world that we are sent into to bring this beautiful thing called hope, right? That Jesus is like, Okay, you're my church, you're the hope of the world. Go. But yet, historically, the church has not really done so great, has she? I mean, there are scores of people whose number one reason they don't want to be a Christian is because of the church. The modern church, the Crusades. You just pick an era, and there's something ridiculous that happened in there. And I think so much of it is because we don't, like, we as Christians don't understand the scope of what Jesus did and what that means. That the gospel has been reduced to Jesus died on the cross for your sins so you can go to heaven. Do you want to pray this prayer so you can go to heaven and not hell? And we're like, yes, please. And while that is so, I don't mean to demean that. It's not about lessening that. It's about expanding what Jesus has done. Like all that he has really produced through the cross and he has invited us into so much more than just like some sort of security about our eternal state. And so while we celebrate that, if we're called to be the hope of the world, we've got to know exactly why we're the hope of the world and why Jesus is the hope that we bring them. So if you can flip over to Ephesians chapter 2. I hope that I'm making sense. But if I don't make sense, maybe the Bible will make sense. In Ephesians chapter 2, we see this, this phenomenal ex- explanation. We see the brokenness of Genesis 3. We see the Old Testament that's basically God over and over and over again trying to help people see that the brokenness of the world is, starts with them inside. But they didn't really get that all the time you know so he so that these laws they're trying to carry out and some of that was was so that they would fail honestly so they would realize that their efforts were they were coming up short and the reason their efforts were coming up short is because the problem was internal not external but as humans we're kind of slow to the truth so you had to kind of put them put them through the ringer a little bit and eventually they're like fine we can't keep these laws he begins to speak through the prophets and says, yeah, you can't keep the laws because you need, you need an internal change that you cannot produce on your own. So God says, I'm going to send someone to come in and fix the internal problem. Isn't that going to be great? And I'll do the, the Old Testament. They're like, yes, that's going to be so great. And then they get distracted. And this up and down... Like history of Israel, they're like God is so great, and then they're like we want to do our own thing, and then God is so great, and then who cares about everybody else? And they're just back and forth, back and forth. But eventually, it got to be understood: internal problem, external like rules and stuff are not going to fix it. It's not outside in; it's inside out. We need help. We need a redeemer. And Jesus shows up, and he begins to teach and to preach, and he's like, "Okay, here, here I am. This is what I'm here to do." I'm here to proclaim liberty to the captives. Recovery of sight to the blind. Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I'm, I'm, here, to, I'm here to do the things that you want me to do, but I'm gonna, it's just going to blow your mind. You don't, you don't even know. And he preaches and he teaches and he, he continues to show them what the kingdom looks like in tangible ways and that required his death. And so Paul is is trying to explain this miracle. Look at verse 11. He gets into this thing where he's trying to help the Ephesian church understand that the tensions that exist between people, and like those tensions, have been fixed, basically. That everything was good in the beginning, and then sin messed everything up, and Jesus has come to fix and restore everything. But all of the different uh, rules and uh, external things and all this kind of stuff, all of the stuff that like pits man against each other, and your internal stuff, everything has been taken care of by this one like sacrifice that Jesus made. So look at verse 11. It says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh... Called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. So are really what he's saying is you, you had people you had you had Jews and Gentiles and they didn't really get along with each other. I mean, they kinda did, but it was like it was very much separate and the and the like anyone who was Jewish had this kind of superiority deal, you know, whatever. And and so Jesus is, is like he's not into that stuff. Like he's not into what do you look like or where you're from or what's your heritage or any of that kind of stuff. Jesus isn't into that, but they were super into that. And so Paul is helping them see, like, look, it doesn't matter what this group, who called this group this, and that kind of stuff. All that stuff is irrelevant. Um, So verse 12, he says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Okay, that verse, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, no hope without God. He's explaining that separation. He's going back to the conceptual thing of Genesis 3. I was saying because of sin, your understanding of God, your, your actual relationship with God, that separation is there. And that is like the point of origin for all of your own insecurities and all your own stuff. And then all the reason why you're always like uh, competing with each other and comparing and all this kind of like stuff that's there. He so said, remember, you are you all separated. Everyone was like not connected to God anymore because of sin. Everyone was outside of Eden. Everyone was hiding in the trees. Everyone was confused about who God is and who they are and how we're supposed to relate to, to God and to each other. And then every now and then the ground would shake, and you're like, what's going on here? You know, like everything was just completely messed up. He's saying, don't forget that that was you also. And in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of, of Christ. He said, hey, you used to be like separated and not even like separate, like far away. That Jesus' death on the cross has brought you near to him. Like that distance was because of sin. And so when Jesus forgives sin, there's this restoration of that relationship again. If you and I are, are Adam and Eve hiding in the trees, unsure of what's going on, the blood of Jesus gives us a reason where the blood of Jesus like draws us out. You say, come on, come on out, it's okay. And so we're kind of like testing the waters a little bit. When you're wanting to know what's this Jesus thing about, what's Christianity about, all that kind of stuff, when you're, when you're first realizing that there's this internal problem and God himself has come to, to fix it, you're kind of like starting to listen a little bit and realizing that, hey, you don't have to be far away. That Jesus wants you to be near to him so much that he, like he shed his blood so that that sin could be forgiven so that you could come out of the trees. There's not anything to hide from anymore. That now you can know what God is like again. and You can know him accurately. Jesus has revealed the character of God. There is no more, we don't have to question it. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to cross our fingers and hope that we get it right, that Jesus has come and made all that clear. Verse 13 But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility that Jesus, through his sacrifice of himself, has broken down the dividing wall of hostility between us and God. That God has, has taken the like, rebellious humanity who thinks they know better and now doesn't know who God is or who they are, or how to relate to each other. And he's broken down that dividing wall between you and him and brought you near and so one of the, one of the like, ways that we're going to have to respond tonight is, is through communion, if you would like to take it. And so you'll step up to, the, to like, one of the elders, and there, there's like some bread there, and you're going to tear that bread off. And we do that on purpose. It'd be easier to like, cut it all up and have it there waiting for you. But, and sometimes we do it that way, and it's fine. But there's something significant about when you tear it. Because Jesus' flesh was torn. And when you do that, maybe it triggers this verse where you're like, ah, the tearing of his flesh, that's how the dividing wall of hostility came down. And you dip it in the juice, which represents the blood, and you're like, ah, it's by his blood that we who were once far away have been brought near. That in taking communion, we're reminded that there is no more hostility for those who are in Christ between God and you. That that's taken care of, and He is calling to you, beckoning to you. Come out, come out of the tree line, man. There's, it's okay now. And it's almost like with each day we take like another step toward Him, and we're like learning more, learning more, realizing that He's good, realizing that he's, we have nothing to fear or be ashamed of, realizing all these beautiful things about Him. Verse fifteen. He broke down the dividing law of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, so that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. That there's this reconciliation, this like, okay, we're gonna take all the everything that used to divide, and we're just gonna wipe all of that away, and we're just gonna make this like one family out of all these different like people. Verse 16 and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. That there was a dividing wall of hostility, and now he's talking about, now we're going to kill it. So, you can have people who are hostile toward each other, and there's a wall there, right? You tear down the wall, what, you think the people are going to immediately get along? Probably not. He's like now the, the hostility that exists we're going to it's dead like it is done. That when Jesus died with it died the hostility our own rebellion against him lost its power because it died. And God's holy his his need to destroy sin because of his own purity like that was that died as well. It was absorbed so now the wall is gone and and the like the leftover tensions that were there have been killed. Verse 17. He came preach peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And we could go phrase by phrase through that, but basically he's like, just trust me. This has happened. <laughs> You may not feel it. You may not see it lived out. You might have all these questions about it. But look, this is the reality of what Jesus has done. That in the core of who we are, there's a oneness. That Jesus' body and blood were sacrificed, and that sacrifice was accepted. And it's once and for all, and there's nothing more to happen. And so this completed thing is our reality. So what does that really mean? Let me run through a couple of scriptures. You don't need to turn to them. The general idea is that Jesus has taken care of all four of those relationships. All four of the relationships that were in conflict because of sin, Jesus has come and reconciled those and is restoring those, basically helping us to live in Eden again, even now. The first one. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. You just write that down if you're a note taker. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God, that the gospel is this message of reconciliation, that Jesus has come and he's taken care of the hostility between us and God, that hiding in the trees no longer makes sense, It's kind of all that we know because we grew up in it. And Jesus is saying, you can come out the trees, you can know me again. It's all fine. That reconciliation is, it's the gospel. That's what we do. That's why uh, we can come in and we can sing and we can ask God to be our vision and our everything. And we can sing to him, we can sing about him that we can like, respond in those kinds of ways because there's no more hostility. God is not carrying a grudge. And so we come out of the trees and we're learning a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, more and more and more, that he really has reconciled us to God. Like it's really, it's really happening. It's happened. It's going to continue to happen forever. And so he has fixed that first broken relationship that we see of man to God and God to man. That separation has now been eliminated. But from that, it spills into the other relationships. In uh, 2 Timothy 1, there's a verse I've talked about a lot. Verse, one, uh, verse 7 says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. That here you are, this new creation, and instead of this spirit that is full of fear that has you hiding in the tree line because you aren't sure from him, he, of who he is, he's drawn you out of the tree line to live in this openness, but you are not the same person that you were when you were in the tree line. Adam and Eve were filled with fear and shame. We get to be, like now, instead of fear, we have been given the spirit of power and love and self-control. He didn't just take care of stuff so we can go to heaven. He literally made us new and different, like this inside-out kind of deal. And so you're not the one that you used to be. You're, you're you. It's not like he completely changes your personality and, and all these kind of things about you, but your fundamental identity has been exchanged. The fearful, shameful, in conflict, rebellious, whatever, has been removed, and now this spirit of God like lives in you. And you're just not the one that you used to be. It's not a spirit of fear. It's a spirit of power and love and self-control. It's his own spirit that lives in us. And so that means that those, that internal conflict that we had has been fixed and is working itself out. Which is why we should, the longer we walk with Jesus, our insecurities should fade away. Right? Our pride should fade away. Our, um, like, all the th- our fears of inadequacy, our, um, like our quest for idolatry and looking for fulfillment in other places, our, that part of you that just isn't really sure you're loved or wanted should fade away because you're not the one that you used to be. And God is constantly just reminding you, come out of the trees, live in the openness with, one, with me again. And you can be the you that he made you to be, even though sin had messed it up. You can be you, like real you not broken you, real you, because of what Jesus has done. Colossians 3, 9 and 10 says, Do not lie to each other, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. There's a new, you're, you're a new creation. So, restored you to God. He's restoring and has restored you to yourself. And both of those are working their way through. And then the third one, man against man, Colossians three twelve through 17, says this, "...put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony." Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which, you, to which indeed you were called in one body. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do you want to be a part of that, you know? Like, don't you want to live that life with other people? Of course you do. Because the Christ in you, if you're a Christian, Christ lives in you, and that desire is like, like, that is now who you are. And he has covered all of the ridiculous things that put us against each other. But you know what? Don't you just kind of feel like sometimes the, the, like, the Christian community can be the worst example of restorational forgiveness and like, healing? Do you ever feel that way? Sometimes we, it's, it's, it's like that part of the cross didn't really happen. It's like, it's like it was exclusively vertical and not at all horizontal. That when, when there is like a poor process behind our conflict, it's not saying that we shouldn't have tension with each other. That's a part of what we're working our way through. But it's like, how do you handle it? You get crossed up with someone. How do you? What do you? How do you go about it? What Jesus is saying, if you, if you understand the cross, and you understand that God is, you and God have been reconciled, and you internally have been reconciled, and you have been reconciled with each other, then really, what are we intention about? I like so. It's silly, right? That the cross has freed us. From having to handle things like the world we were born into, said, so, "No, you can be this kind of, you can be these people right here, that the people of God, living in the forgiveness and the restoration of God, are a community filled with peace, like real peace, not just like the absence of fighting, like deep, you and God are on the same page, kind of peace." And so a part of us walking like through Lent toward Easter, all this kind of stuff, is recognizing that he has like, reconciled us and he has fixed what sin has broken. All the way down to how you handle conflict with your friends, within your marriage, within your family, within your, with your coworkers, If they're Christians or not, it doesn't even matter. He has changed how, we, how all of that stuff works its way out. And so, if you are confused about who God is, you need to know that you have been reconciled by the blood of Jesus to Him. And He will continue to teach you who He really is. And you need to know that it's okay. He has called you out of the trees, and He's going to continue to form that in you and build that relationship that's there. If you are just riddled with fear, insecurity or any of that internal dissonance toward yourself, all the self-loathing and all the stuff that's there, you need to know that by the blood of Jesus, that has been taken care of. And as you walk with him, he will help you to be who you really are. He'll help you to heal from all that stuff. He'll walk you through those things personally and also by giving you people around you uh, that can help process your way through that. If you live in conflict with people, He has freed you from having to do anything other than walk out what He tells us in the Word. To prayerfully check your own heart, talk to the person yourself, um, address it, realize that Jesus has already died for the sin that's there. You just got to kind of work that through what that looks like and remind yourself of the gospel and basically say, hey, let's just reenact what Jesus did for us that gossip or slander or any sort of like weird pathways of stuff, you're freed from having to handle it that way anymore. That's not, that's not us anymore. And I think that, that those things, I know I talked about the thing to creation, and that one's like a whole other sermon probably. So, um, but those, those fundamental things, like that's a part of like us really celebrating what Jesus has done. Is a life of worship and a life of obedience, but also a life that's like, hey, he's fixed the tension. He's broken down the dividing wall of hostility. His flesh and his blood have paid for all the stuff that is against one another. Now we just got to continue to heal. And the way that you heal is you trust him. You trust him in the midst of those conflicts, whether it's you to him, you to you, or you to other people. Like that's the people, of, that's what it means to be the people of God. That's who he... It. I'm in conflict with this microphone. <laughs> Even that conflict has been handled. That all those things, when you read that passage of scripture, and you're like, you're like, okay, that's what he's doing among us. That's who he's making us into. It takes everyone taking a step toward that together. And I think that that's part of what we're supposed to be doing during Lent is recognizing, man, the tensions that exist. He, his blood covered that stuff too. And if I'm going to be who he's made me to be, I'm going to embrace that. I'm going to thank him for that. I'm going to trust him as I walk through that. I'm going to trust him enough to pray about, uh, pray about my own internal stuff, pray about my relational stuff, pray about uh, my relationship with him and how I'm still learning. I'm just going to bring it all to him and say, I believe that your blood fixed it, and I believe that you will continue to work that out in me. That's who, that's who we are. That's who we are. And I hope that, I hope, I don't know, I I don't know. I I read this and I think about this, and it changes so much. It changes so much for me. And so, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to kind of do what we normally do. So, if you're here for the first time, sort of how we have come to respond, Uh, we usually will just kind of sing it out, honestly. And during Lent, we've kind of added in some other things as well. Uh, these steps down here are not magical, but sometimes just kneeling and praying. There's just something about getting out of your seat, coming down and kneeling and praying to the Lord that just kind of makes it more real. So this is open for you if you want. Um, the uh, two of our elders will be down here serving communion. And so you'll step up and you'll tear that bread off and you'll dip it in. And they're going to they're gonna say the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ poured out for you. But don't let, them, let that enhance the experience. Don't let it distract you. And, and in so doing, you're, you're acknowledging that Jesus' body and blood uh, took care of the hostility, resolved the conflict. And so by coming forward, you're placing faith and saying, like, all right, I believe that this is like the real thing. And you're saying, I need this grace in my life. You may want to stay where you are. You may want to sing. You may want to pray. You may want to like just do whatever it is. This next few minutes as we close are just kind of there for you to just be you, okay? You and Jesus kind of handle things, all right? We'll do some songs. We'll kind of, there'll be some movement around the room. And then uh, Adam's going to come and close us out here in just a minute. But let's, let's be good, responsible folks with these next couple minutes. Um, yeah, let's stand together.